Hey everyone, welcome to The Start. I'm your host, Patrick Johnson, and this week we're with Claudina Sarai. Claudina is a staple here in the New York technology and developer community. Um, without her, I don't know where I'd be, mainly because she does two things that are very important to me and others that are uh, also front-end developers here. She hosts the Gotham SaaS meetup that happens every month, um, usually at Pivotal Labs. It's a fantastic meetup of some really cool people. The other thing that she's a part of and that she co-created is SaaSConf, which is a conference completely around SaaS, the preprocessor for CSS. Um, that is super fun. This year, I believe it's not going to be in the city. It's going to be somewhere else, and I can't quite remember where, but regardless of its location, you should go. It's probably one of the best conferences I've gone to. It's not like a huge South by Southwest. It's not, um, it's not an event apart. It doesn't cost that much. It's probably not that large, but it's got a fantastic lineup of speakers typically. Uh, a very well-rounded group, not all tech, not all non-tech, uh, but a nice balance between the two. And the the people who show up, they're just some of the nicest people I've ever met. So if you've got an opportunity to go, um, I suggest you go. The link to Gotham SaaS and SaaSConf will be in the show notes, so you can check those things out as well. So our episode with Claudina was really good. Um, there was one definitely common thread throughout, and that was her mother. Her mother is someone who she very much respects. Her mother is someone who is an educator. She respects education and she understands its place in society. So when Claudina decided to leave college to move to Portland a year after attending, you could imagine her mother was probably worried a little bit. Not that she was making the wrong decision, but just worried the way that any mother would be for their child going out on their own and and growing into an intelligent, self-sufficient adult, much like any of our mothers. But yeah, so Claudine moved out to Portland. She got a job where she was able to use her skills in Photoshop and French together, which I don't know that that's very common, um, but it worked out. You know, um, I think at the time, Claudina, you know, she was like 19 or something, and she was just looking for any excuse to, to take an opportunity. And when I say excuse, I don't mean like a bad excuse. It's just like, hey, you know, I want to go do this thing. What's a good way to do it? Or at least a, a nice insurance policy um, or reason to do it. And it sounds like the move to Portland may not have happened without this job. Or at least it was a big kick in the butt. Um, but after that, Claudina came, you know, she went to New York City and she wrote herself a letter. And the letter which, you know, I think some of us do sometimes, right? We write, we write notes to our future or past self about why it's going to be okay and, and why this life decision is going to work out. But in this letter, Claudina sort of explains her rationale for staying in New York City. And I think it's a moment that we all sort of go through at times, right? Um, not so much staying in a particular city or the biggest city in the country, but um, just reassuring ourselves that a, that a large decision in our life is going to work out. Um, and sort of give some insight as to why it's going to work out. That way, when you read that letter later, you can sort of see what you were thinking and you can sort of retrace those steps back to that moment. Um, and that that's why this episode is called The Letter. And, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's worked out pretty well for Claudina. She's a fantastic person. Um, she's super nice, super friendly. If you ever meet her on the streets, I'm sure she'll spark up a conversation with you. Um, and if you go to SASCOM, she'll probably welcome you with open arms and give you a big hug. But aside from that, she's incredibly intelligent, 
in terms of technology and her profession. To me, she's like the a really ideal kind of developer where you might come to her regardless of your level, ask her a question, and there's no judgment. She just sort of, you know, responds if she has an answer, tells her she doesn't know if she doesn't, or she responds with a question to help figure out what might be the answer. And for me, at least, that's a, a, the, not humility, but the ability to acknowledge when you don't know something is a very, very valuable skill to have for all developers. And it's clear she has that. And she's used that to her benefit when it comes to, you know, learning a new language, uh, working on a new project, getting a new job, going to a new city, any of those things. Um, it's clear that she has a good head on her shoulders in general. Um, all right, so enough of me blabbering. Before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a few more things. First, I want to say thanks for listening. I appreciate you guys taking an hour or so out of your day or an hour or so out of your day in which you're multitasking to listen to this episode. If you are a subscriber, thank you for subscribing. If you're not a subscriber and you like it, please subscribe. If you've got a little extra time in your day, you can rate the podcast. You can also review the podcast. All of those things help us grow in terms of listeners, in terms of exposure on iTunes, just to make this podcast a little bit more prevalent in the technology community. Um, not that anyone here is looking for fame, but you know, if you guys think it's a value, um, subscribing, reviewing, rating helps share that thing that you think is a value. But all right, enough talking. Thanks for joining me. This is my conversation with Claudina Sarai. Claudina, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. How are you doing on this apparently snowy day? I didn't realize it was snowing until I looked out the window. That's why I said apparently. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize it was snowing until uh, my colleague was like, your flight was canceled. And I was just like, oh, really? What's going on? Wait, re- wait, wait, wait. So it didn't even look that bad outside. It's kind of like, I mean, it's getting it's getting into that wintry mix type thing. The new, new wintry nice. mix forecast. I think I think they're more preemptive. They're just like, oh, it might snow. Let's just cancel it. Whatever. Make sure no one comes in. We'll deal with all that. We'll deal with all the angry people. Yeah, right. Um, well, yeah, I appreciate you doing this with me. Um, like we mentioned, like, pre-show, I found out about you through SASConf and, or not, well, back up, SAS Meetup, because I had just gotten into SAS and I was like, variables are great. And that was the extent of it. And then... I think I use like, and I don't know if you still use this method, but the one thing that like I definitely took away one day, I was like, this is so smart, was uh, your config files. Ah. So, so rather than having like one, and correct me if I'm wrong, rather than having like one large mix-in file, you'll have like buttons.config, and that sets up the configuration for the buttons. And if I'm correct, I think you also separated, at the time, separated structure from style. So you'd have like, Two mix-ins, one for button structure, one for button style. Yep. That has been a godsend. Oh, awesome. I use it. I try to use it as as often as I can, Uh, like if I'm starting a project. Um, But that is like, 
at the like I'll use that one as an example because that's the one I use the most, and it's been super super helpful. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, that uh, the concept of like uh, I guess it's uh, appending files with that dot config came out of Eric and I were just talking like how what's an easy way that we can tell that our files aren't generating output and we know that they're just like settings holding configuration. Um, so it's been that's cool to hear that that works for you. It's something that yeah. I've been using all the time. So I'm like, oh. Hmm, file name, suddenly like an ability for a little hack. uh... Yeah, right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I feel like there's definitely in the development world, there's there's like the copy paste phase, which is usually when you first start. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And then there's the absorb everything phase and not have your own opinion, (laughs) which is where I'm at now. And then there's the I'm a bad I know I'm a badass, so I'm gonna do whatever I want phase. (laughs) I'm like not yet at the badass phase. So I'm and granted, I'm sure everybody has this sort of internal dialogue. It's what the fuck do I name this thing? Oh my gosh! Seriously. All the time, or how should I structure this file or these files or this project? So when I, I remember, I think you did like a SAS workshop, and I think it was like the first run of it. You were like doing it to get the kinks out. Um, it was at Meetup at the Meetup space. Yep. Yeah, that was a, that was a trial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, this is so smart. I was like, yes. Um, but, yeah, so that I think that's when I, I respected you throughout the entire time. But I think at that point I realized that you were like, I was like, how do I not know who this person is? Like, I'm a dummy for not knowing. Anyways. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you so um, much. Yeah. Sweet. I'm curious, and I usually open this way, is how did you get started? Like, looking at where you're at now, however X many years you've done this, if you can go back and you can like, if you could put all of your, your, your personal history on a wall, is there one moment or period in time where you can pinpoint and be like, that's when, that's when the, that's when I, the bug entered me. That's when I was interested in this stuff or, or the other flip side is maybe there was a moment or a period in time where you can definitely see that it influenced you down this path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my first introduction to like the web and anything related to it was actually when I was 14, maybe 13, so the end of eighth grade, early ninth grade. And I went to my mom's lab and she had checked out a book for me and she was like, this is a book on the internet and the World Wide Web and I think you should learn about it and like possibly like program for it. And I was just like, ah, whatever, you know, sort of dismissive. But what like file. Sorry, what do you mean your mom's lab? Like, what did your mom do? Uh, my mom was completing her doctorate. So she, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So she was in, in lab working. And then it wasn't until a, a couple years later when actually this, I had, I had just moved to a new town and there was this girl that I liked. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm making, I'm making a website. And I was like, oh, that thing my mom told me that I should learn how to do. Like, let me go home and figure this out. Yeah. How old were you when you were doing all this? Well, how old were you when your mom introduced you to that book? I was about 13 or 14. And so then I didn't, but I didn't really start like tinkering until I was 16. Um, And I really just did like things for myself, like built sites for posting my, like my artwork and things that I was making, but it wasn't anything like super, super serious. Um, When I got to college, I ended up getting like an on-campus job because I knew how to program. And then I was like, oh, look, like you can start making money with this weird thing. This is interesting. Um, At the time, and 
I don't know what year it was. That's why I say at the time, what constituted as programming? Like, was it, were you just like messing with JavaScript or were you like heavier, like heavier languages? Oh, no, no, no. I, I was just doing front end stuff. So really like HTML mm. and CSS. Um, okay. Like JavaScript has always, except like now I have a really big interest, but it was always one of those things that was just a little bit harder for me to grasp um, and just like wrap my head around the nuance. Yep. But yeah, so just doing like front end builds, no CMSs or anything mm-hmm. uh, fancy. But uh, I did a site in the summer, and after my first year of uh, college, I decided to take a year off. And I packed my my dog and everything I had into a car, and I drove across the country to Portland, Oregon. Where where was college at? Uh, I went to Wellesley College. Okay, cool. So I was in Boston, um, and I drove out to Portland, yeah, and didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a job, just was like, I'm going to, I'll make this happen. We'll figure this out. And there was a, uh, a posting for someone that knew French and Photoshop. And I was like, that's, that was like, that's my job. Like that's who, <laughs> who, you know, everyone's like, you're never going to get a job in Portland. I was like, well, I'm not going to apply to be a barista because I can't do that. I was just like, let me yeah. figure out what I can do. So uh, I ended up getting this job at this little uh, agency and they were like, oh, you do HTML and CSS stuff. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, all right, here's, here's another job. And after I did uh, worked on sort of another in-between project, they gave me like a full front end. Here are the PSDs, you know, make them mm-hmm. into pixel perfect uh, website. And that was kind of my first really big thing. Um, wow. I remember I was so nervous. I was scouring like their their lead front end dev i was just reading all of his work viewing all of his source code just like mimicking what he was doing knowing that he was going to read uh my my code files um and it was uh yeah i just kind of that's how i took off so what year was this that was 2005 2006 yeah and then the other the other follow-up is why do you know French? Not why, that sounds bad, but how is it that you know French? Um, I was introduced to French first when I was in a, when I was in first grade and I fell in love with it and then I studied it a lot. Um, and through I spent, school or was that just through personal interest? Um, I was int- introduced uh, through school and then I didn't get to study it again until like later on in my schooling because uh, it wasn't offered until you reached a certain age. So then why did they need someone who spoke French and knew Photoshop? I know. I thought it was the weirdest thing, too. It's like, <laughs> why? I was like, why do you need this? So it was a site for a Canadian company. And by law, mm-hmm. everything had to be uh, in French. And yep. so they had a problem the first time around because the person didn't know French. so They wouldn't notice if they had forgotten to copy over an accent. So they needed someone who was aware enough to be like, ah, this has an accent on it or this is wrong. So was it like a half copywriting kind of gig? Like French copywriting or editing, I guess? No, because a lot of the stuff was translated. But if it didn't fit like in the graphic, then I had to make, then I could be like, okay, there's another way of saying this. But it was really just like, you know how to use Photoshop and can edit and make these graphics and know enough about the language to not give us back faulty work yeah stuff that could be seen that could be illegal in canada and get us in trouble exactly exactly i was 19 i was like this is the best thing ever (laughs) (laughs) well yeah you get to mess around with french which you love and you get to fuck around with photoshop which is also fun 
yeah. And I wasn't in school and could work when I wanted to. And was it was like... <laughs> what do you mean you could work when you wanted to? Like it was a uh, non-traditional, like not nine to five? Um, that was like a contract job. So on top of that, like some of my earlier stuff was really like immediately, Hey, I'm working for myself, you know, like, yeah, I didn't even, I remember when I started working there, I'd been working for a few months and I was just like, um, are you going to pay me? And they're like, Oh, you have to submit an invoice. And I was like, Oh, what's an invoice? You know, like I just, these things that you, (laughs) that you don't know. (laughs) Um, when did you realize that that's sort of like, well, not the invoice thing, but did you go out there looking to work for yourself? It doesn't sound like it. Like, it sounds like it was more like just a happy, happy accident. And that like you needed a job and they needed someone, they didn't need someone full time. And that's just what it became. Yeah. I mean, I, I really just was taking a year off. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had had like sort of a lovely and a terrible first year of college. Um, so I was also like taking some classes and working and it was more Mm -hmm. of just I was like oh it's a job you know like that's that's what it had been for me in college but it wasn't until I like I really had that first project where I started learning about sort of web standards and what was happening and that I started to develop this immense interest um, and really was you know like oh maybe I won't go to school this is more interesting so I, I take it you didn't go back? I didn't, actually. I decided at the end that summer that I wasn't going to go back to school. How the how did the people nearest to you react to that? And I only asked because it's it's a sounds like a pretty non-traditional path to take. I, a lot of my schooling is pretty non-traditional. Um, but, you know, my mom, my mom was devastated. Really? My education well, is, yeah. is incredibly important in my family. Um, and it was just not something that she could comprehend at that time. And this was also not when, like, I feel like now I, I chuckle because now there's this this sort of other current of like, maybe you shouldn't go to school. And what is it like? What is the value of education? I'm like, this was not what was happening when I decided not to go to school. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, when I asked you that question, it sort of made sense. Like, your mom introduced you to the web while she was getting her PhD. And now you're like, I don't want to go to school. I want to keep doing this web stuff. And she's, oh, no, what have I done? Um, so you're in Portland. You're working on this first project, and that really scratched the itch for you. What happened next? Did you? It was contract, so were you just done after that? I, I found another project. I learned, you know, not only was I learning just, like, things about the web, but also learning, like, what it meant to be in business from like my own boss. Mm -hmm. Um, So I moved on to another project, which was super instrumental. And I was, I was incredibly lucky at every single project along the way. Um, I had wonderful, just like technical directors that were mentors and really good friends and almost just chuckled when they would realize how old I was like, cause I would, I would always try to keep it a secret and I was like, Oh, okay. Like how do I avoid this? Um, and so my, my second project was fun because it was going to be translated into nine languages. So I was like, oh, oh wow, that's pretty I, cool. I have to do CSS for this. <laughs> um, you know, and then it's like, what sort of options did we have? It was such a pain, like dealing with German words. And, yeah. Um, so that was a really fun, like, second project, uh, 
second sort of major project to own. What was it like? So I've never been to Portland. What's it like? What was it like in Portland at the time? It's nothing like it is now. I'm like, now I'm just like, wow, you can actually have a career as a web developer (laughs) in Portland. Uh, But coincidentally, like the state of Oregon is really instrumental to a lot of my life in programming. It's where I started. I was in Eugene when I applied for the job that actually got me to uh, New York. But um, there wasn't, there was like a couple main agencies. uh, And Mm -hmm. now there's tons of stuff and like, Writing Kennedy has started to flex its muscles and realize that it has a lot of, lot to contribute. And I mean, there's startup stuff and tons of consulting agencies there. And oof, oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's a whole different world. It's kind of like wow. Was um was there any reason why you chose Portland, or was it just like it's the complete opposite of where I'm at? When I was growing up. Um, one of my favorite games was both a computer game that I got and a first initially a board game and a show that I loved was Where in Where in the USA or Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I had the same game. Yeah. Uh, so you had the, do you have the board game, the USA yep. board game? Mm-hmm. I did. Um, I loved that game. I don't know <laughs> what it was about that game, but something about the state of Oregon and like, the cards and like, I don't know what it was, but that the gameplay for the state of Oregon was just always on my mind. And that it was just this place I always wanted to live. So I moved there. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're working on projects. And so I heard this recently and I don't know that it extends to when you were in Portland, but I heard Portland can be a bit of a cold shouldered kind of town. Like, the people that I recently met mentioned that it was a little difficult to make friends there. Was that, did you run into that as well? I've never been. And I've actually talked to my girlfriend about visiting Portland uh, because it seems like it could be Portland, Portland or Seattle seem like a decent place to live uh, with the exception of like the rain and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, it's like, it's got tech, it's got more forward thinking young people, um, a lot of outdoors, which you don't have in New York. Probably a little bit more space, I would imagine. Space, uh, step food. It's got like, yeah. yeah, it's got lots of stuff. Some of my best friends in my life to this day are still from Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not many, but they're definitely like, the quality of that friendship is, is immense. Um, I don't know, actually. I, maybe, yes, in a way, people can be a little like more clickish and like segregated by neighborhood and kind of what you do and... Definitely, like, weather keeps you in more, but I don't know. I think there are wonderful people everywhere. It's just you kind of have to find them, you know. I don't know. It's yeah. like New York. Can you think about how you end up with your friends in New York? Um, yeah, it's true. And everyone thinks that New York is full of assholes, but somehow we manage to find a bunch of good people. So I guess it's fair. It's like that everywhere, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I I love I love Portland, but it's not a place that, like, I... I, I don't know. I'm such a city person. I don't think I could <laughs> I could live there for a while. I, whenever I go back, I'm always like, oh, okay. This is this is how it's gonna be all day long. Like this is the level of traffic. This is it. Like that's like I'm always just kind of observing how calm and quiet it is. So, yeah, that's I don't know. Part of me wants to like go buy a cabin in the woods somewhere and just live there like oh. a caveman. Oh but, do it. Do it. Well, I want to live like a caveman with really good internet. Yes, yes, yes. And that's yes. it. Just Netflix my life away and work and stuff. Um, I, I would vote for that. 
<laughs> what what ended up bringing you to New York? Um, I got a summer contract gig with a project that Huffington Post was doing called uh, twenty. I think it was called like twenty six seven or something like that. It was it was a HuffPo comedy spinoff. Eventually, it uh, I'll send you the link. It's got like a Wikipedia page that commemorates its death. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Definitely lasted for a summer. Um, But it's cool. I actually got to work with like Paul Barry. So it's been neat to see his sort of growth in the New York City tech scene. Um, But I was, uh, I came out here with no intention to stay. Honestly, I was like, well, at that point I had sort of convinced myself that I might go study architecture in Barcelona and leave the the Mm -hmm. country so I was like okay I might do that and I was uh spending an afternoon on my rooftop of my sublet in the east village and I was like you know what I'm I'm just gonna stay I'm just gonna stay here in New York like I want to stay and were you on this roof in the summer because that'll do it to you oh yes it's just like lazy (laughs) day of like watching the traffic go by slowly on avenue a and like summer heat and just deciding to do it. And I remember I went back into my apartment and like wrote myself one of those just like letters of like, okay, you're terrified to do this, but it's okay. Just like start looking for a job, find a job, everything will work out. And I started looking and there was this awesome job uh, posted at UNICEF for their innovation team. And that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So it was there a new team that they were building that was, going to focus on basically uh, tech and open source primarily and how to uh, build tools to uh, support their mission. Uh, So I went for the interview and I remember they were like, do you have any questions? And I was like, I knew I really wanted the job. So I was just like, yeah, when do I start? And they're just... (laughs) (laughs) Um, and they're like, all right, well, we have to wait. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I left and I, and I had walked maybe like three or four blocks and I got the call. They're like, okay, you're like, you have the job. And it was just like this immense moment of like in less than a week to go from, oh my gosh, I'm so terrified, but this feels like a really good decision. I'm just going to do it to like, okay, cool. Like I'm still this web thing. It's like working. And now I'm here in New York and then I had to call my mom and tell her that. She's like, what? <laughs> what are you? <laughs> what, did, what did your mom think about staying in New York? Uh, so I knew that it would be a lot easier if I had a job. So once I had the job, mm. I was like, I'm staying, <laughs> but don't worry, I have a job. <laughs> where did you grow up at? Or where was your mom, I guess, at this time? My mom was in Northampton, Massachusetts at this time. Okay. So not super far away. No, but I grew up in Iowa City, Iowa. Oh, cool. Okay. That's, uh, is Iowa City fun? Um, I mean, I'm actually really happy of like being Midwestern in this strange sort of way that connects you to other Midwesterners, but Iowa City is a, is a college town. So it's incredibly like, it's got a lot of culture and, and I don't know, that's where I like started going to protests and learning about like socialism and counterculture movements. So it can't be that bad. It's got to have something. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that's where the University of Iowa was. Yes, there's that too. Nice. Did you ever go to a game? I would imagine you probably did if it's right there. 
no, I was never really a big like American football fan. I was more of like a soccer bat. I went to basketball games. Okay, that's equally as cool. Um, no, that's cool. So, how long? So, what was it like working? You know, I don't think I've ever met anybody who was a developer at UNICEF. I mean, most of the people in New York either work on like some kind of tech product thing or they work at like an agency. So, and you were, it sounds like you were in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. How was that? Did they, you mentioned earlier that you had, um, you would like hide your age. Did you hide your age for this one as well? I think by this point I, I was at least 21. So it was a lot easier. It wasn't as mm. like, because the problem before was go on these office outings. So I was just like, all right, uh, if I don't mention anything, I can like go along. So by then, no. I mean, that was, uh, that was, it was super fun and still I'm connected to a lot of those people. And a lot of them have continued to work on the project and they've actually done quite well. Uh, like the team leads were in times like 100 most successful people in 2013 and they've done some amazing, oh, wow. amazing That's really cool. projects. Um, I didn't end up staying on very long. And I think a lot of that was just the complications of being there when they were setting things up in when you're trying to basically set up innovation in a seeming like a, a, a bureaucracy. So it was, yeah. it was, and I was an impatient young person that wouldn't tolerate things to a certain extent. So um, it was wonderful, like start. And it really also was the place where I started to uh, like really take an interest in open source and the power of open source before that I didn't really quite know, you know, it wasn't like I came into the web through any formal training uh, so that was sort of my first exposure of like, oh, there are these different things. I mean, my second project was essentially like a closed source .NET, like .NET site. And I just remember it being terrible to like work on, <laughs> <laughs> but like not really understanding. So that was cool. Um, but after that, then I did go work at an agency for a year um, and learned a lot, uh, primarily just because there were only two front end developers and the amount of work that we had to handle was more than two front-end <laughs> developers could handle. Yes. <laughs> what um what agency was it? I'm assuming it was in the city still? It was, yeah. I went uh I went and I worked at uh, Method. I don't know that I know them. I've done the agency bit a little bit. Um when I did advertising, I was a bit more involved in the agency world. Um uh, but no, it's cool. So what was it like being one of two front-end developers with all this work? <laughs> uh it was crazy and it was okay until uh, the month where I didn't have a single day off. And like you worked weekends every day. Oh yeah. For like a straight month. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't super fun and I grew impatient with that, but it was cool. I mean, I worked on so many awesome projects and method at that time. I mean, they, they still continue to do great work and have, they were the, um, the company that helped bring like Ted.com to the web initially. So they, they put oh, their wow. videos up. That was their first thing. And when I was there, we got to work on the PBS video site, which was the launch of PBS putting all their video content on the web, uh, which was amazing. So the caliber of work was incredible. And so to have that opportunity, um, you know, even though it was really hard and because we were so busy, it was hard to like, grow and bounce ideas off of your colleague 
mm-hmm. we would help each other out to our best extent, but you were really like, and I think that was kind of the, the not so fun part. Like you're just like trying to get this stuff done, you know? And it yeah. wasn't like, it was a lot of sort of waterfall and you kind of bear the end of, of things. And that was during the terrible support drama era of just like, countless hours of your life and internet explorer and trying to get things working perfectly. Um, so, I mean, I learned so much there beyond, not even just like technically also about like clients and project management. And, and when I started working there initially is when I, I, it's funny to see this now become part of the web, but I remember like pushing really hard to be like, can I sit down with, the user experience team and can we prototype can i like build what they're doing in html this isn't that complicated and we're waiting for these like stacks of papers to come that were so in, in like detailed i'm just like they're so detailed but the technical team literally looks at them laughs at them scribbles on them and throws them out and they just build some anyways <laughs> exactly so um it was great uh i mean everything I've done up to now has been amazing and just uh, instrumental and helps every other project afterwards. So what was it like working? So you were working nonstop. I mean, it's typical agency, but you're also working nonstop on, it sounds like pretty high profile projects. Exactly. Yeah. Which was, did you like, I would have peed my pants at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. You're just like, Whoa. Oh my gosh this is amazing. Like I built that. I worked on that, you know, um, the moment that things launch and you get to go to their, to their URLs or one of the projects we worked on had like a ad campaign across the buses, like bus system of New York. Oh, and wow. I saw it one day and I was like, ah, that's like, Oh, that URL. That's my code. You know, like, that's me. I did that. Yeah. It was fun. Um, that remind in a good way. Did you ever see, uh, fuck, what was the movie? It was a movie with Samuel L. Jackson. He was a basketball coach, Carter. There's a scene, uh, granted, it's, it's for a, a totally different rationale and reason. Um, basically, his team starts getting really cocky. And as a good basketball coach, he teaches them a lesson. And at practice, he's like, he's like, he walks in the middle of the court while they're playing. He like ties your shoes. like, damn. He's like, typical Samuel L. Jackson fashion. He's like, I just, man, that's a good-ass knot. He's like, man, that knot is a motherfucking good-ass knot, and I tied it. <laughs> and he's, like, super prideful. Obviously, he's showing them that it's not right. But in your case, that's totally right. I would have screamed it from rooftops. <laughs> that sounds really fun. So I'm looking at Method's website. They must have been nice working in Soho. Oh, that's yeah, it was great. Yeah. I mean, I walked to work. I mean, it was... It was lovely when you're, again, that was so, I still, my, my graduating year was still in, in class, and, but that was, that was the year they were going to graduate. I think that was 07, 08, okay. 07, 08, 08, 09. So maybe we had, we had just graduated. So a lot of my friends couldn't get work. And that's when, like, finally at this point is when my mother was, like, better with my decision that I didn't go School. What, because all of your friends didn't have jobs? I think, like, the economy started to, like, clue her into a few things. But, like, okay. she was also just, you know, I had a full-time job. It was a little more serious, I think, than, mm-hmm. oh, I'm working for myself, you know, and and the caliber of work that Method did. So it was it was about this time that, like, 
things started to ease. Um, but yeah, it was- did it um, did it create conflict, or was your mom just not necessarily happy, and you guys just wouldn't talk about it? I think it was more just the. Uh, I, my mother's an educator and my mother like is an incredible person and then just a strong role model in my life. And Mm -hmm. her trajectory is incredible. I mean, she's the only person from her community that's ever left for anything related to education. And she's Mm -hmm. back there working now to, to help people. So, um, and to help her community. So education will always be like incredibly important for her, but it's been really cool to, to see her also like embrace that entrepreneurial side that I know she has. Cause she was the one that would support me with my crazy, like, I want to do a business when you're eight years old. And like, just, she'd be like, all right, okay, go try your thing, do your thing. You know, yeah. she was, so I know this like side of her uh, is there and um, it's cool to, especially now to see like the change that's, that's happened with her. And I, and I still, I mean, I have immense admiration for the academic process. I wish academia wasn't so terrible. Um, but yeah, it's a, I think it'll always be one of those things where she's like, she stopped saying it now. They're like, oh, why don't you go back to school? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, mom, I'm not doing it. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you thought about going to architecture school or school for architecture. Why was that? Like, why was that a thought? Oh, I've always, I mean, I've, I've always sort of wanted to be an architect um, since I was five. And so okay. one of the big reasons I actually ended up going to Wellesley is because they have a partnership with MIT. And most of my life, I was like, I want to go to MIT. That's where I want to go. And it wasn't until like later in high school, uh, again, uh, because a dear friend of mine was like, oh, I'm applying to Wellesley. And I was like, oh, I'll apply there. I had no idea what it was. I, I didn't know I was going to go to a women's college. Nor did I know I was going to go, but I was on campus and very similar to that sort of moment I had in New York. I was like, it was just like this moment of like, oh, I could be here, you know, and it was and it's one of those moments that like terrifies you, but excites you. And that's how you know you have to do it. Like I'm very aware of that when those happen. And so, yeah, I did it. And even though it was short lived, like my experience at Wellesley is one of those things that's, again, like a tie through a big underlying current in, in my life. Um, yeah. So architecture has always been a big part of my life. And I think that, uh, I mean, one of my, one of, again, one of those just like moments of one of your great career moments was getting to work uh, with Daniel Liebitzkin. Um, I don't know who that is. Daniel Liebitzkin is the master planner for the World Trade Center site. Uh, oh, wow. So he's like a, a renowned world architect. He did the Jewish Museum, uh, the Holocaust Museum. I'm like, looking them up now (laughs) um so i got to work on that was like getting to work with with him and his team that was that was to me like full circle really felt like it it's interesting though because you've sort of been able to intertwine some of these fun parts into the professional parts too absolutely and now i mean now architecture or the sort of front-end architecture or as i like to think about it more is more like systems thinking is really coming into the web and front end development. Um, not that it wasn't there before, but it was harder to, to like really apply these sort of tenets and these principles, I think of, of modularization and um, architectural thinking because our tools were crappy. 
So it's been really cool to, uh, and that's actually something that, that I've come to like learn and realize throughout my careers. I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm not building buildings, but I'm using the same sort of thought processes uh, in a different way. So I really think that's, that's been really incredible to, to be able to find that in this field. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone before, um, before this call the idea of what building is now. And, you know, when you think about when our parents were kids, when you built something, you physically built something. You'd get some kind of thing, you know, and like I'm looking, I built my desk, so I'm looking at my desk. You get wood, you get the stands. Like I, I use plumber pipes, so you get the flanges, you get the the actual pipe, all that kind of stuff. And you've sort of got to think it out. And I remember when I built this, which was like two or three years ago, I went to Home Depot every day on, on my lunch break. Because I didn't want to buy stuff and it'd be wrong. Because in New York, you can't just jump in a car and return it. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> so I would literally go there and I would build out the legs for the desk. And I knew I already had the tabletop. Because that's like, that is just run of the mill. And I knew the tabletop was an inch high and I needed it to be like perfect height. So my neck wasn't straining and my elbows were like, everything was good. And I remember going in there and building and keep building. I was like, man, this is actually really fun. We obviously don't do that as much anymore, but we took, we basically took the calluses off of our hands and just put them on our fingertips because now we just build the internet. Yeah. Um, but you still, everyone I've met who builds on the internet also builds something off of the internet. So whether you're a painter, if you physically build stuff, if you're a baker, like everyone sort of does something, like you're still making. Yeah. Builder, maker, mindset, mind frame. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, it works out. I think it's, you know, I was having a conversation, like I said, this is the same conversation. It's interesting because that used to be, people used to be in a skill or trade economy, right? Like you think about, I watched like Into the Woods with my girlfriend when it came out. Um, she's a big theater person. So of course we had to go see it. But as they're walking through the town, you see there's the shoemaker, the cobbler, there's the... Um, the blacksmith or whatever it's called, the per- person who makes shit with metal, the baker, the what, the seamstress, the what, like everyone makes something. And now that's not necessarily the case. Everyone makes cat gifts. That's yes. what we make. <laughs> um, which is totally fine and fair. I guess we make more intangible things. Um, but I, I find it's always interesting to me when you find people who genuinely like to make and whatever make is. Um, like I, I do baking. I'll actually... I'll put it in the show notes because at this point it'll be a recap, but I'll also send you the link I'm doing. Um, it's called beta tasting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I bake cookies. Ah. Let me send you an Instagram link. Yeah. And everyone on the show is going to be really jealous when they hear this. Have you ever had LaVon bakery cookies? I don't think so. What? Oh my gosh. What is, you can't send me this. Like, this is, <laughs> this is really cruel. Now I'm just like, I'm going to be like, hold on. I need to go, like, try to figure out what to get that can somehow. So I remember I went to Levon Bakery once, which I'll send you this link real quick. And I was like, oh, my God. Levon Bakery is on, like, 72nd in Amsterdam. The cookies are three fifty four bucks. They're mounds of hot dough. It's delicious. Wow. It's so damn good. And I was like, I want this every day. So I went home. I, I 
my mom's a chef. So I called my mom. I was like, mom, how do I make cookies? She's like, I can tell you. She's like, but if you buy chocolate chips, the bag will tell you as well. So I was like, I was like, humor me. How do you make them? So she told me how to make cookies. I got all the ingredients and I baked them. I made like these huge balls of dough, slapped them on the tray, threw them in the oven, waited 20 minutes, pulled them out. Not the same at all. And that for me with the baking stuff, sort of at that moment, I was like, why the fuck aren't these the same? And it's turned into the Instagram link, which is what I've originally sent you. And it's crazy how much I use the, t- the word science for lack of a better word goes into baking. Oh yeah. There's tons of science. Like the way I guess people use like cornstarch sometimes in cookies. Uh-huh. I didn't know never, that. Okay. Never do that. You ever yeah. go to like the grocery store and you see like the cookies in the bakery, they're like really flat. Is that because uh, of cornstarch? Yeah. It just stretches them out and stuff. Um, the, if you use all purpose flour versus bread flour versus cake flour, um, or like pastry flour, which apparently are all different types of flours. I didn't even know that. Um, it's it's to me it's it's very much in in line with what we do on the web. I see cake flour as Internet Explorer because it tends to break everything. Mm-hmm. It just fucks it all up. Um, but it, I don't know. It's it, like I've realized that baking is much like building anything, and that you sort of got to plan it out. You you have to be like so for this beta tasting on March 8th, I'm baking like 50 or 60 cookies. Whoa. Yeah. It's not, I usually bake one batch at a time, which is like 10. So in my mind, I'm like, how do I do this? How do I make this as modular as possible without ruining the quality? The cookie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you start scaling up, right. If you take the whole, if you take the whole recipe, scale it up by two, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how the hell I'm gonna do it. I uh, I admire your ability to bake. That is something that I just know. I think I think we've all got that thing that we can do in silence and really enjoy it, and it's just very therapeutic. Um, baking is mine. Oh. I get I get to just sit there and literally just put my hand in like stuff, clean hands, of course, and then do this thing, and then wait. So with like typical cookie dough, you wait twenty four hours. Um, you wait twenty four hours. I didn't know that. You don't have to, but if you wait twenty four hours, what ends up happening is that the ingredients react to one another, and it t- typically makes for a better cookie. Just in general, if you ever bake, make the dough and wait. It, if you have the patience, yeah, wait for twenty four hours, and then bake them the next day or whatever. And so I do that, and then I have another process to help keep mine in such large shape. But once I do that dough and I'm done, I just, I don't know. I feel good. I, you know, I haven't spoken to anyone for an hour. Yeah. I'm literally just sitting there, no music in the kitchen, silent. And it's just, it's really nice. Nice. It's your like meditation. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I, you know, I find that I do the same with development, although there's a bit of, um, like weird, weird music in the background, but it's about like, I was up till 4am last night coding stuff. Nice. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, I saw your email. I was like, oh, those nights. I know those <laughs> nights. <laughs> that, so the, the prep email that I sent you was supposed to go out not at 4 a.m. this morning. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to go out like on Friday. But I've been so busy. Um, but no, you know, I don't know if you feel the same way, but there's often times where I'm coding something and maybe I run into a challenge and I f- fix it 
and I look up and it's like three hours later and then I look back down and it's like, I don't know, it makes me feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. I love those moments actually where you just completely sort of like zone into your, your problem and fixing things. Yeah. And then you come out with a solution. To me, it's very much like baking. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I love the most about our field is that there's always some sort of a solution, you know, like it's, it's like that scene in the, like Apollo, Apollo 11, the 13, one, 13, yes, there we go. The one where they, uh, where they're just like, here's what they have on board. Like we need to build something that saves their life. Go for it. It's like, all right, like here's what you have. Like we need I've to got loafers and gum, this content <laughs> go. I mean, and to think about it, like that's how a lot of our major tools and frameworks and sort of libraries have arisen. There are these needs. They're like, oh, I'm using this in this sort of specific way. I'm trying to do this thing with this soft, with this piece of technology. Uh, how can I accomplish that? Yeah. It's almost like everything, and I'm speaking solely for myself, it's like everything starts as a hack, right? And until we're informed enough that we can package it up into a proper way or system and it's no longer a hack. Like if you think like table layout when HTML and stuff first happened, like it wasn't meant to create the websites that we have today, but you still can. Mm -hmm. And it's like all this technology is like, okay, we can do this cool thing. Okay. Let's sort of formalize this. Okay. Make it more of a more standard, uh, usable, commonplace, et cetera. The next hack comes along, whatever that hack is. Oh, same kind of thing. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, I think I think our, our, our industry is very interesting. You've got a bunch of people like yourself that can sort of forge their own path. And none of it's ever wrong. Unless no. like, you're like legitimately doing something wrong. Um, like eating gasoline or something. <laughs> I've definitely done wrong things, believe me. Uh, you know, I, I still, I mean, I have those moments all the time where I'll, even on recent projects, and, and it's a great, again, sign where you're just like, I can't believe who wrote this code. You're like, I can't believe I wrote this. What, what was I thinking? Like, it's painful to work on my own code. So I still, I still have those moments. I think the critical thing and the thing I'm learning is that you rem- it's just getting faster at how quickly you go through things. Yeah. Which I think sometimes feels like the opposite. People think that like, oh, okay, you know all this stuff. So like your first output is going to be this like perfectly well-crafted piece of code. And it's like, actually, that's like the worst thing that you can do. Just like the best thing that you can do is to to just output the simplest thing um, and make it work and just iterate through it quickly. So trust me, I'm still, I write code that I'm like, can't believe. Well, I feel like to to the point that you made, what ends up happening is you don't actually output faster. You just spend more time thinking or planning um, and actually like crafting the right way to go about accomplishing whatever it is you need to accomplish. Yeah. With with the understanding that you might not even have all the information you need then. So you have to be aware that like, oh, every, you know, decision could be something that needs to change in the future. Yeah. Which is the other really cool thing I think in general about our field is that you just can't like can't hold on to things. Yeah. You know, you, it, it's hard. It's hard to get used to that. It's yeah. It's a, it's really hard. It's hard to be like, what is? But what is the right way? Like, how do I know I'm doing? And it's just like there is no right way, and that's why we share so much. I think it's just like these conventions that help you and sort of whatever helps you like solve the problem, I think is really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a problem with 
not being a right way, especially in front of development. Like um, <clears throat> I, I'll use this example. At some point, doors, like doors on houses and stuff, front doors, interior doors, had to be standardized because there was no way to create them at scale and manage them and maintain them at scale. Let's say you, let's say your door fell off the hinges. If your door was at a different measurement with different size hinges and a different frame, it, no one's going to be able to work on it. Mm-hmm. The web is not a door. But for a while, I was like, every website has a navigation. Every website has links. Every website has a form. Every website has buttons. Why aren't they a little bit more formalized? And what I've realized is that the structure and markup isn't formalized, but the interaction typically is. Like you think about a form, it's got an action, it's got a method. Like that's the normalization of a form, right? Every link has uh, an href. Every button has, well, hopefully every button has some type of like type to it. And that's the standardization. I think, you know, for a while, it, it um, when I first got into the industry, it took me a little bit of time to get used to quote unquote the unknown or just the fact that things are like, Things like it's like this blob that continues to shift Um, and it either shifts out of preference or out of industry standard or industry need. And I just wasn't I was like, no, don't do it. (laughs) What were you holding like? uh, What were you holding on to or do you was there anything in particular that you like? You know, I've thought about this enough to sort of have some kind of answer. Um, I had a teacher in school. His name was Mr. Smallwood. He was my freshman year algebra teacher and I only had him for like three weeks because in Florida around that in Florida at third grade and 10th grade you have to pass state standardized tests to get promoted in third grade you don't go to fourth grade in 10th grade you have to pass it or you don't graduate okay so if you don't pass it in 10th grade you keep taking it until you pass it and throughout my entire career Mr. Smallwood was career my entire educational career Mr. Smallwood is the only teacher who said if you don't write down how you got to the, your answer, you will not pass. Mm. And he was talking about homework, class assignments, tests, anything. He's like, I don't care that you got the answer wrong. And having him for me, and he does it. I, I think I emailed him in college and I told him thank you. But he was the only teacher that ever said that. And I think growing up, I learned a formula, which was they all they care about is the answer. So I didn't, you know. School, school isn't difficult. I re- when I realized that all they want is the answer, they just want the work done. I just did it, and I like gave it to them, and I did whatever I wanted. And I think I tried to take that mentality and apply it to what I was doing. And at, when I worked in advertising, you could do that, right? You don't you don't know how to write a creative brief. Someone already did it. Take it, change the name, change the verbiage. You're good. It's already there. Web development's not the case. I mean, you can sort of, but like. What if your interaction, like when someone submits a form, uh, what if the interaction changes slightly? Like, okay, normally it like sends you off to whatever the page is that you've got in the in the action. Um, but what if you want it to like stay on the page? What if you don't want it to do a full page refresh? Oh, that's Ajax. Oh, you've never messed with Ajax? You got to figure it out. So it's like, I, I think for a while with me, I was so used to there always being one right answer, like only one. There's only one right way. Like four plus four is only eight. It's never nine. Mm-hmm. And I think being raised societally with that mentality, at least where I grew up, um, definitely was a hindrance. And I think that and there was also a lack of uh, curiosity. Like I'm a firm believer that curiosity is something that we either have or we don't. And if we don't, you can, it's a skill. Um, 
in my opinion, it's very much a skill that you can teach yourself curiosity and you can strengthen it and hone it and perfect it. And when I first got into development, I definitely wasn't curious. Um, it was very much just like, okay, I need this form to do this. Where's the answer? Copy, paste, done. Not copy, paste, but you know, it was like, somebody's already done it. Let me just go get it. I don't want to waste my time. But the reality is, is that doing that gets you nowhere. If you don't figure out how this shit works, then you're going to suck as a developer <laughs> or you're not going to be in it for too long. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, I mean, I love what you've said there, especially that, that bit about curiosity, which um, I mean, a lot of the like, like Bertrand Russell and a lot of really interesting philosophers, like some of their, their main things that they talk about is this sort of this curiosity that exists within people. And I remember like Bertrand Russell's writing in the fifties and he's, he's already just like, we don't need to work all the time. Like, and he's like, some people might squander their free time, but who cares? The majority of people will do things with it. And he's like, we're killing curiosity. And it's, and it's true. Like you have to be curious. And I think those are those, those things that you're talking about are the subtle things that set you apart in development. Um, lately, I've been thinking a lot, you know, like what is like, what does it mean to go from like junior to like intermediate to senior? What do these things mean in the context of like, how do you advance in our, in our mm-hmm. field or, And um, a lot of them I've been like dotting on. It's not like technical skills. It's these little things you're saying, like embracing curiosity, not being afraid to just try it, you know, and and see Mm -hmm. what happens. Um, Like questioning why, taking things apart. Um, And you're absolutely right. It's, it was actually, I I, thank you so much for sharing it. It's just a lot, a lot of our life is, undoing that and I think it's so cool like to me that's one of the cool things about more people going into tech is the prospect of like okay cool more curious minds you know like let's look at the things that that are really neat that that come from thinking in this way and from the challenges that we're constantly under and and what that does to how we like perceive things um so yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting space I I'm sure you probably feel it too when I have a friend who says that like they want to get into it or I have some friends who say, I just want to learn HTML. And I'm like, come over this weekend and I'll teach you because it's like, to me, it feels like I'm almost giving them this like Pandora's box, right? As a gift. And I'm like, part of me wants them to like quit their job and do it too. So they can feel the joy that I feel. Sometimes people don't feel the joy in the same way. And that's totally fine too. But it's, I realize now why so many people have have been or are practicing programmers developers for so long and it's because you can you can become satisfied but if you do you're complacent so it's actually you're better suited if you're never satisfied it also helps that every day there's hundreds and hundreds of new frameworks coming out at this point so there's always something you can learn there's always a new way to do something and it's i don't know to me that is the fulfilling part like before I got into development, when people were like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go mess around with this thing this weekend. And I'm like, why is that? Why is messing around with an Arduino fun? Like, what are you? <laughs> yeah. But now I get it. Like, it's, it's less about making this, making like this cookie jump off the table. It's more about just like, what, do, what happens if I take this out? What happens if I put that in? What happens if I throw it in the toilet? You know, it's just like sort of figuring out what goes on. And that's, I don't know. It's, I think. It, it took me a while, and this goes into the curiosity, it took me a while to to want to do that. Like, um, you, when you said met, method, I went to their page, and I was like, oh, how'd they do that? Inspect element immediately. Like, most websites, I have the 
the dev console open as well. Yeah. At this yep. point. And it's, it feels good. It feels, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I definitely find joy and pride and being able, or having the curiosity to want to look into something and then also not stopping. Like being like, nope, if it takes me two hours, three hours, four hours, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how that, I mean, that's what I was doing last night. I was messing with some JavaScript stuff and God knows that my JavaScript only needs to get better than what it is now. And I was writing something in pure JavaScript and I haven't done that in a while. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go Google it. Google this. Okay, that works. Oh, I need to do this. What about this? I was messing with like class list nodes and stuff. And it was like, I don't know, for the first time in a really long time, I was like totally cool and happy with reading the, the like a Mozilla Development Network's docs. And it, it felt really good. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. Those, the constant ability to learn and move around is, and that freedom is definitely things that I've loved. Um, and some of the best parts about this, this field. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, so you are now at Oddbird, correct? Mm-hmm. How did that happen? <laughs> I asked, so you, you are the one that introduced me to Oddbird through Susie. Okay. Yeah. Um, so to be super honest, I thought, I didn't know what Oddbird was at the time. I just saw that it was like, not necessarily a Twitter bootstrap alternative, but comparable in terms of the grid system and that kind of stuff. So how did you end up there? It's, uh, yeah, how did I, uh, SASCOM, I guess, is the, the, the long and the short of it. Um, it's, first, it's truly amazing to, to be there. It's one of, honestly, one of the best teams I've worked with in, in my tenure. So, so that would, SASCOM, 2013. So I had, I had just kind of like come off of closing a startup. I was deciding whether or not I was going to close it. I had just finished a conference. And Eric uh, had come, and he was one of our speakers at SASConf, which was amazing for me. I mean, the first year when any of those speakers said yes, I was like, ah, I can't believe it, you know? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, I'm, like, reading your code and, like, learning from you, and you're going to come out here? Okay, awesome. And um, so we were, uh, we were at Momofuku Milk Bar, actually, in the East Village. A group of us were getting food because food is delicious. Um, and all things SASCOMP involve eating. And Eric was talking, and he was like, yeah, well, you know, we have opportunities. And, you know, I've, I've always, one of the things I, that I really admire about Eric, um, and I think a lot of people in our field, and again, it goes to the nature of our work, is how interdisciplinary it is and the other things that people do. And Eric truly is one of those people that, like, does coding work, but also, like, artwork and the way that he marries the two is just incredible. It's, it's mm-hmm. really amazing getting to work with them. So yeah, I uh, did a month of grand jury duty and closed out the conference and then started doing work for Oddbird. So. That's really cool. Then you've been there. So that was in 2013. So yeah, I've been there about a little over a year now, a year and a couple months. That's awesome. And in that time, you still did well. Not in that time. That makes it sound like that's all you're focused on. Um, so you did SASCOMP 2013. Well, the first that was the first one, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when you and Eric met, and that's when that like 
that work relationship happened. Mm-hmm. And then you did SASCOM 2014, which I went to and I got a sweater from. <laughs> I wear that sweater every day. It's comfortable. Awesome. <laughs> um, and th- that actually was a really, I enjoyed that conference because I've been to a hand, I went to Generate. Generate was very good as well. The one thing that I noticed though is that you guys put more emphasis on the people there than the people speaking. And for those who didn't go, and I don't know that you guys will do this again next year, so hopefully I'm not ruining anything. They put $20 in everybody's bag so everybody could just go get lunch together. And I was like, why don't more, why don't more conferences do this? It was a super good idea. Like you've got a bunch of people who've already spent a substantial amount of money. They might be coming in from out of town, spending more money on a hotel. So you guys like paid for lunch and it, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed more of a, of a, a method to you to bring everyone together, uh, versus like going out on your own. At least that's what it ended up being for me. I met a handful of people that I didn't know prior. I thought it was really, I think I thought it was a really nice gesture. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that went well. That, uh, credit to, to organizer last year, Sam Richard with that idea. Um, yeah, it ended up working really well because you have this. I mean, food is that moment that you come together. We're in New York. We're in Soho. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's so much great food. Catering is a pain. Uh, but at the same time, the like the whole like, all right, now just go get food. is just this also like you're like, eh, now what do I do? So, yeah, it yeah. kind of was this. Let's make this exciting. Let's see what people do. And we're really it, I mean, people responded really well to it. So I think it'll be one of those things that we bring back for this year's conference. Definitely. Yeah, I thought I thought it was smart. I think it took the onus off of what am I going to eat and put it on where and with who. With who? Yeah, that's cool. And that was that was really cool. I liked it a lot. I'll definitely keep going back. Um, yeah. So we're coming towards the end. There's three questions that I asked that are a little bit more. Well, I guess they're all sort of introspective to some extent. But knowing where you are now, you know, you went to Wellesley, then you went to Portland, then you went to New York, and the whole time your mom was like a mother should be, uh, interested in your well-being. If you, knowing everything you know now, could go talk to that girl who was at any point in your life doing something, what would you tell her? I think just keep being fearless and like trust trust your gut when you want to move, when you're ready to do new things, do it. Uh, that's fair. I think it's, well, you did mention earlier that you wrote a note to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Do you still have it? It's on a drive somewhere, yes, definitely. Uh, okay, so you didn't, it wasn't a handwritten note. No, no, no. I typed it out because I was furtively like trying to get my thoughts out in a terrified, frenzied manner. No, that makes sense. Um, the other question is, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll give it to you in a scenario. You're at a SAS meetup and someone comes up to you and it's like, hey, Claudina, um, I just got into development. I don't know anything. Do you have any advice? What would you say? I'm curious. I mean, it's, yeah, like, follow, find people who you like, follow them, reach out to them, talk to them. Don't be afraid. Just that never stop questioning, really, I think is the, is the way to do it. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Um, now, the last question is the secret fun time question, <laughs> which is secret and fun. Um, it's never related to anything we talked about. It's always just, like, some random shit that I come up with. And I'm trying to think of one for you, knowing everything we've discussed. Hot summer day. You're on your roof in the East Village. With you is a bowl. 
of something to eat. What is in that bowl? Raspberries. Just straight up plain raspberries? Not like a berry medley, but I'm, I'm like, I love raspberries. That works. I take it. I've recently gotten really into blueberries. I never liked blueberries my entire life. Blueberries and would be my I, second choice to add to that. Blueberries are good. Um, and when I did the no sugar thing, I needed, I realized like the first week I was getting headaches and my buddy who had done it prior to me was like, eat fruit because you can like, uh, as part of the challenge, I could have fruit because it was natural sugar. He's like, eat fruit. Cause that'll help you wean off of like the necessity of sugar, of refined sugars. And having oranges all the time just became too cumbersome, right? Cause you got to peel it and everything smells and your hands like got that like weird feel. <laughs> so I just, I, I just, I bought like a, a, a little thing of blueberries cause you could just like eat them like candy. I do it all the time now. It's so great. They're so good. Get <laughs> some dark chocolate on the side. It would depend on how much sugar's in it at the time, but now I will do that. The, well, like that. dark, dark, like 85%, oh, yeah. 90%. Well, I've so the the chocolate that I use for the cookies is uh, like Scharfenberger, okay, um, and that's like sixty two or seventy two percent, like dark semi sweet chocolate. It's delicious, so good. If you come by, you'll definitely have some. If you don't, I'll try to bring some at the next SAS meetup that I go to. Oh um, yeah, we've uh, there's been talk about a potluck, so potluck. no. Well, I'm the maker here. Cool. Um, Claudina, if people wanted to reach out to you, how can they do so? Twitter's the best way. My email address is on my GitHub page. Cool. And it's uh, at Miss CS, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. Bye, Patrick.